Hey, Brandon here. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This episode is sponsored by Personal Revolution Podcast. Have you been stuck inside wondering how to take charge of your life? Is there something you want to do but haven't been able to do it yet? I know for me, I've been wanting to write a book forever. This would be the opportune time. But in the Personal Revolution, best-selling author and life coach Allison Task helps you take control of your life with inspiration and humor so that you move from where you are now to where you want to be and have fun doing it. It's like having a personal coach whispering in your ear. This three-month podcast course, along with bonus episodes each month, will help you create a clear vision for what you want out of life, remove the frustrated blocks that are holding you back, develop a detailed action plan that will drive you to where you want to be and build the network that will help you create your future. The Personal Revolution podcast comes with a personal workbook and real-time access to a community of other change makers working towards their goal with positivity, possibility, and momentum. And for a limited time, all of this is available to you for free. Download the Himalaya app in your app store, look up Personal Revolution, and enter promo code REVOLUTION at checkout to get your first month absolutely free. If you're ready to go after a better life, you are ready for Personal Revolution. Here's a sneak peek. Hi, my name is Allison Task, and I am the host of Personal Revolution. Are you ready to be happy and do that thing you always wanted to do? Well, I am thrilled to announce that I have now made available for free the Personal Revolution podcast course. This course is based on my best-selling book, and it is now yours for free wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It includes 10 original episodes with plenty of never-released-before content, and then it includes a premium version for $4.99 a month. You will get a customized workbook. You'll get access to a private community on Himalaya, and you'll have just-in-time audio drop-ins from me again in the community on Himalaya. Just go to Himalaya.com, look up Personal Revolution, and type in Revolution to get your first month for free. I'll look forward to seeing you in the community. I'm excited. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm Brandon Laws, your host. And I've got Mark Alifans and Kate Bischoff with me. They are the hosts of the very popular show, Hostile Work Environment. Glad to have you guys on. Yay! Happy yeah. to be here. Super excited to be here. You know, this is a very popular show. I'm really curious. You know, you make it hilarious, but also very educational at the same time. As the title suggests, it's Hostile Work Environment. So you're talking about legal cases and people who have no sense for how to have a non-hostile work environment. How did this come to fruition? I know you're on kind of your second run for this podcast, but talk about the podcast a little bit. Yeah, so I'll take that since I was one of the original hosts on it. My buddy Dennis and I were both employment lawyers. We're both in Portland, just like you, Brandon. And we were hiking out in the Columbia River Gorge one day, and we were just telling stories about work. We were on like a six hour hike and by four hours in, we were still telling stories about work or other stories we heard about other people's work. And we've got to tell these stories. And I said, well, why not try a podcast? And that's literally how it came about. You know, by a couple of weeks later, we spent our time trying to figure out a name. We actually came up with a couple of names and then I found out that they were already being used. So hostile work environment actually landed and it was great. And the concept was let's use our expertise as employment lawyers 
to tell these crazy, crazy stories, and in particular, ones that actually make it into real cases that you can find online and read those fact patterns and talk about, you know, these are real people with real things. And then how does a court take that and look at it and say, I'm going to throw your case out or I'm going to let this go to a jury or whatever else it might be. And that's how it came about. It just from literal walking in the woods. And you're not joking when you say they're crazy stories. And I want to preface this for listeners today. We may have some swear words and I'll definitely mark it as explicit just in case. (laughs) Some of these cases, in terms of the context of the cases, the swear words need to happen. So it might be actual verbatim quotes from the case. So I just wanted to put that little disclaimer out there because you're not joking when you say that these are real cases that are insane. I think this one's pretty clean. I don't think I have any four letter words that come out of this one. But it's still illicit behavior, though. Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't be our podcast if there wasn't some illicit behavior. (laughs) Right. So this show's on the second run. Kate joined, I don't know if you're calling it season two or the second coming of a hostile work environment. (laughs) (laughs) But how did this come about? I know you and Kate were connected before, but Kate, how did you jump into this? Well, I am very lucky that I get to talk to Mark and a bunch of other employment lawyers and HR professionals almost every day about what's happening in the world, particularly right now. We are constantly talking about different iterations of the laws affecting us at the moment. And through that, we've all become very good friends. I would consider all of them close buddies. And so Mark was thinking of changing his employment status and thinking about coming back out on his own again and thought, you know, I should restart the podcast. And every employment lawyer is incredibly busy right now. And Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you and Dennis were spending almost all of your fun time together doing this instead of actually having fun together. Or You weren't actually hiking anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. You weren't actually like doing the things that you were doing. And so with Dennis being really busy and wanting to still have quality time with each other, which I find delightful, Mark wanted to know if he could have another co-host. And Dennis, I think, graciously said, yeah, go for it. And then he thought of me, which I'm so thrilled about. And I had been a guest on the pod. Yeah, you were a guest like at least twice from whatever. I think we had you on twice. Yeah. And early on yeah. too, from what I remember. So it's funny how you guys have connected. I'm curious because I think on one of your recent podcasts where you had like all your peers doing the coronavirus update from all over the world, how did you start that group? And how important is it for attorneys like you to connect with peers to bounce ideas off of each other and help each other, whether it's probably market your services or be guests on each other's shows or however that works. But how important is that? It's so very important. And I think we lucked into it a little bit. Part of it was I was trying to build a robust LinkedIn presence a few years ago. Yeah, you coached me on that stuff. Right. And somehow I learned about what we call engagement pods. So people who come in a group together to support each other's content and try a little bit to manipulate the algorithm into showing your posts and content to more people. And that's really how we came about. And so I asked a couple of friends who asked a couple of friends, and we grew to a group of seven. We've had a couple of people who have flitted in and out of that group over the years, but there's a core group of seven who have been pretty consistent now for a few years. And it's turned into so much more than that, like the LinkedIn gaming part of it. I mean, yeah, we still talk about like, all right, we posted, let's all go and support each other's posts. But really, in the end, it's more about keeping each other sane, doing gut checks. I mean, I pick up my phone, except I don't want to shake my desk and make a lot of noise. But like, while we're sitting here, there are WhatsApp texts coming in right now from the others in the group. So we all thought we're all stuck at home anyway. Some of us have never met in person. Kate and I have still never met in person. So really, yeah, but we're all consider each other very close. And 
I'd consider all of them amongst my best friends, even though there's only two of the seven. Well, I guess I'm one of the seven, the two of the other six that I've actually met in person. <laughs> That's incredible. So we thought, let's all get together and do a podcast together. And we did the video and we did the audio. And I think it looks pretty good and it sounds pretty good. And it was the first time a lot of us were seeing each other in virtual in person. Right. And we proved that they all wore pants. So that was yes. the <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Are we all wearing sweatpants right now? Or <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mark's got a robe on. No, I was <laughs> so we all showered today. Possibly we got dressed. It was crazy times right now. Like when you guys have your group going back and forth, are you guys just literally just bouncing ideas off of each other about coronavirus? And I mean, it, that's what my whole staff of HR consultants. That's all they're talking about with their clients right now. Yeah, it is really important for me because I work for myself, right? So it's just me and having this group of people to say, guys, have you thought about what this is going to mean? Or my client is coming to me with this question. I think I'm going to interpret this way. It has been a godsend, particularly when the laws are coming at us fast and furious and we're trying to wade through and try to give practical, good advice to our clients. And so that's why it's been really helpful to me. In that sense, we're almost like a law firm. I mean, we're not all lawyers, but we're all sharing insight and asking questions of each other in a way that I would if I was at a law firm with the other partners and associates at the law firm. So we can be that. Now, some of the people in the group are parts of law firms, so they get the best of both worlds there. And I are both on our own. And we rely on this group heavily for insight and conversation. And it's nice, too, because we're all in different markets, so nobody can step on each other's toes in that sense, especially for the lawyers, because we're only licensed to practice in certain areas anyway. Will you let me get sentimental for a second, Mark? A couple of months ago, you wrote a post on LinkedIn. I had no idea what was going on with you professionally, but you wrote a post that said, hey, look, my current employer is laying us off and your whole staff's basically gone. I don't know if they outsourced it or whatnot. I don't know the details of it, but you didn't make it about yourself. You made it about, I need to find these people some jobs. And you went to your network, you used your position for good. And I don't see a lot of people do that where they have a lot of influence. They have a huge network. Like you literally built up your LinkedIn network. You do that for yourself, but you used your network at that time. But it was just probably hard for you personally for other people and got them jobs. What was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, well, gosh, you know, it's funny. I just did something that felt really easy, right? You know, I'm not afraid to be a little bit vulnerable on LinkedIn and talk about what's really going in my life. And I've had some people come to me and say, like, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. And again, I want to be who I am. So I wasn't afraid to come out and say, you know what, my team and I, we all got outsourced. We all lost our jobs. In the end, it happens to people. And it doesn't have to be a reflection on us or the work that we were doing. It's a business decision. I get it. You know, that's fine. And there's no reason to be angry or bitter or upset about it. But in the end, I was mostly upset because I had a team of three people who all lost their jobs with me. And I wanted to see if I could help them. And how easy is it? It took me five minutes to write that post and say, here are the names of my team members. The reaction I've actually has been wonderful, a little bit more focused on me than I would have liked, right? I feel a little uncomfortable. It's like, oh my God, you're such an example of great leadership and being a good person. It is. <laughs> Fair enough, I'll take it. But like, pay attention to the people I was talking about because they're the real workers. They're the ones who actually do this stuff. And I'm just a leader. I'm helping them reach their potential in their jobs. The reaction was unbelievable. I got all, you know almost a quarter million views on LinkedIn from that post. And one of the three directly got a job because of that post. That was the most gratifying part of it for me. So right now, 
we're in the midst of this coronavirus stuff. And I imagine that both of you as attorneys and consultants, you're probably dealing with a lot of furlough situations and layoffs and what can I do? What can I not do? And I'm just curious, like, you know, from a leadership standpoint, I don't know if you're coaching your clients on what they should be doing to influence other people. I'm just curious if you have any advice out there for people on what's a good way to show up and lead, you know, like this trying times right now and people are scared and people are getting laid off and stuff. I'm curious what your sentiment is right now. So for me, the first thing that I'm telling my clients is remember that your people are people, that they're scared, that they need you to explain more than what you may normally do, that you might have to both have face-to-face conversations, hopefully at least six feet apart, but face-to-face conversations with people, as well as making sure they have emails, having phone calls with them, because over-communication in this point in time is not a bad thing. And you can say that you don't know. You can say that we're in the midst of making plans, but we don't know what they're going to look like yet. We know that if we have to do furloughs, you may be one of them, but I want to let you know that there are safety nets like unemployment, that we're going to be continuing your healthcare benefits for a time. And so for my clients, it has been grueling. I don't know of any of my clients who are having really good sleep right now or that feel like they are doing the right thing all the time because it's so hard right now. And I only work with clients that have less than 5,000 employees. So I'm working with some really small people who are dealing with things that they've never dealt with before, like paid sick leave. What does that look like? FMLA, what does that look like? And so there's a big group of employment lawyers out there right now who are trying to share as much information as we can as we gather more of it. So we've been having a lot more webinars for clients and others to come in and listen to. So we've been trying to give that kind of information to give some sort of comfort. I hope that we're able to do that. I hope that we are actually giving the kind of leadership we hope our clients are doing as well. I love that. I wanted to make a quick joke here. So Mark, in the first run of <laughs> the hostile work yeah. environment, you always call that one particular state. Not ever listening to your podcast. I don't know if you ever got a download in the state. What was the state? That was Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> Yeah, that's really funny. You know, now that we're back, I think the stats and how you track them all have all changed. So it's really hard for me to track by episode right now where our downloads or listens are coming from. But even I think when we restarted, one of our Wyoming listeners reached out. It's like, Wyoming's in the house. We are here and we are listening. (laughs) We are here. I was going to say, like, maybe I can share some of my listeners from Wyoming because I have eight of them. Eight times times as many Wyoming listeners. Eight downloads in the last three months. So that's as much as I got. It's funny with just how it organically, like people are listening from all over the place, this virtual, this podcasting stuff. It's great because, you know, somebody in China or Australia or wherever, they could be listening. And we're over here and Mark and I are in the Portland, Oregon area. And Kate, you're in Minnesota. Yep. The great state of Minnesota. Yes. That's amazing. So real quick, before we dive, you have a case for us. We're going to dive into that soon. What is the most insane case that you've ever discussed on your podcast? I know you've discussed quite a bit of crazy ones. Uh, I'll feel that since I think I have a little more Mm -hmm. of the breadth of the history of it. There's one situation. It wasn't an actual case. It's one of my favorite episodes. I think it was episode 22 or 27, somewhere back in there. I think the title of it was, I hate to break it to you, but I think you might be an (laughs) anti-Semite. That was the, the name of that episode. We always name our episodes after a quote from one of us during the episode. And that's smart. I was kind of crawling through Reddit and found in the 
r slash legal or HR advice subreddits, a conversation or a question from someone who had been experiencing what they felt was discrimination at work. At the same time, in a different subthread, I found this days later, in the same subreddit, the boss was also posting about an employee who was taking advantage of a situation. And I was like, wow, they're both in Alabama. How weird is that? And then I'm like, it's the same people. And so you've got both perspectives kind of coming through in separate subreddits, and then they start talking to each other. And it ends up being this really fantastic look at how two people think they're in the right, which we often hear in employment law and HR. You've got a decision maker who's just like, this employee's not performing, this employee's not fitting in, and uses language like that. And then you have the employee who's just like, I don't feel like I fit in, and they're making me do things that other people don't do, or they're not listening to the things I've asked them not to do. And it was fascinating to hear people, especially on the employer side of it, saying, you know, at first, because this employer wasn't giving all of the information, you're fine, the employee is a terrible employee, blah, blah, blah. But then people started probing and asking questions. And it became clear over time that there was a problem here. And it was a religious discrimination problem. So mashing these two things together, that one took me hours and hours to prep in terms of how I presented the information. One of my favorite episodes, one of the best case studies that you can have. Because you have both sides and you have their unfiltered input without knowing that the other one's also out there doing it. And not yeah. through the lens of a judge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You guys do such a great job of just thoroughly like prepping for your episodes. I mean, if you went through hours and hours of subreddit. a real outlier. Okay. That's good. Usually it's going to be like what we're doing today. I found a case yesterday and because I had a little time, I typed up a little sheet. But good. usually it's pretty off the cuff. Okay, let's go through it. I'm excited. And this is probably where my value drops dramatically as a host. (laughs) I'm not an attorney. These two are. So I'll put some banter in there every once in a while. But I want to let you two do your thing. And this is what people can expect on your show, by the way. So listeners, if you like what you hear, you got to go check out the hostile work environment. We'll put a link in the show notes. Appreciate that. All right. I've got a really cool case. It's a case out of Michigan from a few years ago. So we're going to pick on Michigan a little bit today. I call this the case of the Bloomin' Onion. That's a good name. That's a good name. All right. So I'm just going to kind of go through the facts here first and feel free to jump in. Sounds like a cannabis name, by the way. Oh, man, we're going to get there. (laughs) Oh, did I just spoil it? No. So great. That's so great. (laughs) All right. So this is the, this case is the story of someone named Bobby, girl Bobby. She started working in the restaurant industry and all the way back in 1984. So she'd been around for a while. In 1996, she started working at the Flint, Michigan location of Outback Steakhouse. Over time there, she worked as a server, a bartender, a bar rep. She did ordering and end-of-month supply counts. And by all accounts, she was a really great employee. She received a certificate for the top-performing bar team, which is, I think, probably very different for an Outback Steakhouse than it is for a group of lawyers. Yeah, and have you looked at the drink menu at an Outback? I mean, it's extensive. So if you know how to make that, yeah. Just give me a beer, for the love of God. (laughs) She also received a personal note from one of the regional Outback leaders expressing his appreciation on the exemplary comments we received from a grateful customer. So she's well-liked. In November 2012, so she's been there, what is that, 16 years she's worked there. Christine, a new character, Christine takes over (laughs) as managing partner of the Outback Steakhouse. Now, Bobby says around this time, the working environment at the Outback changed for the worse. But even so, at the same time, she recommended that a friend should still come and work there, describing it as a great place to work. 
So she says things change, but she's also still out there kind of publicly telling people it's still a cool place to be. Around this time when Christine joined on as the managing partner, she was joined by Tori, who was the acting manager, and Brian, who was the kitchen manager, as the kind of leadership team at the Flint Outback. Now, after Christine arrived, Bobby's shift started to change. And this is a common theme we see that a new boss comes in and all of a sudden things start to change. And the question always is, is it because they just need to change things or is it because of something else? So she thought maybe it was because she'd been there so long or maybe it was because of her age that her shift started to change. At one point, she was required to purchase a certain type of slip-resistant shoe for work, which was set up as a rule, but it wasn't enforced for younger employees. And, she and we also, should say that Bobby is 48, right? Oh, so Bobby. Yeah, I was going to get there, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she started working in 1984 and had been there for that long. She is well in the over 40 category. Got it. She also alleges that her pay rate was cut during this time, though she never actually provided evidence of that, which is interesting because that's a pretty easy one to prove if you need to. As part of the ensuing case, you know, spoiler alert, other former employees were talked to. And one of those employees, Michael, talked about how he quit around this time because he felt management was being disrespectful to him because of his age. He was over 50. He said that Christine and Tori would make old people jokes. Tori would call him an old man and call Bobby an old timer, old lady. And he observed that Bobby was being denied assignments that were being given to younger employees. Michael says around this time, eh, probably 2013, 2014, Management suddenly started asking every 21-year-old girl there if they wanted to bartend. And these were people that had never bartended before. And within a week, they were there on Friday, Saturday night shifts doing attending bar, which used to be Bobby's shifts. Bobby, though, acknowledges that while her shifts changed, she had actually asked to work the day shift at the time, which may also have some influence over why her shifts changed. Another employee, Michelle, said that Tori would call her grandma but always in a joking manner. And she always took it as a joke. Devante, another employee, observed that Christine had it out for Bobby because she'd been working there for longer than other employees. Okay. On November 16th, 2014, Brian, who is the kitchen manager, observed two employees exchanging money for a small black object. Later that day, he saw one of the same employees exchange a small package with another employee. So he's like, what the heck? And the same day also, Tori observed a money exchange happening between two employees. Now, each of the employees had an innocent sounding explanation for the exchanges, but Brian and Tori suspected drugs. They had watched too much of The Wire. Yeah. Also, they were kind of probably a little bit right. <laughs> so notably, Bobby wasn't there that day. She wasn't part of these exchanges and she was out actually for the next three days. So she's nowhere on site during this time. Two days later, on November 18th, leadership had a conference call and decided to terminate all four employees that they had seen involved in these exchanges, but gave them the opportunity to meet and explain what happened. Notably, all four employees were younger than Bobby. When confronted, one of the four employees said it was Bobby who was selling drugs and said something like, I can't believe I'm getting fired for this when Bobby is dealing dope behind the bar. Oh, Bobby. What's going on, Bobby? So based on this accusation, management goes and interviews 15 additional employees. This is getting into some good investigation work, kind of like Kate and I do a lot of. Uh, two, but they don't take any notes of the investigation, which is no, like super I negligent. They're doing it, but they're not doing it well. well. 
two of the 15 employees that they talked to, two additional employees indicated that Bobby was selling marijuana on the restaurant premises. So, oh my goodness, management needs to discuss this. And taking into account the fact that Bobby was a 17-year company employee, they decided to terminate her employment based on the observations that the three witnesses made. But we have a plot twist, a really cool plot twist. Bobby is a licensed medical marijuana caregiver. <laughs> so she can deal marijuana. Yeah, so she can't deal. So she can actually deal marijuana. <laughs> when management comes to confront Bobby, she tells them that she has a medical marijuana card and she's permitted to grow, sell, and provide marijuana up to four individuals. On work premises? Well, yeah. Talk about this as a side hustle, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah right. That's a fair point. And I actually think that that is a, an operative point. So it turns out that she's permitted to provide marijuana to one of her coworkers, Devante, because he is one of her patients. And she denies that she's ever done this on work premises. But people saw her, right? Doesn't she deny it at the time, but then she admits in her deposition she did do it in the parking lot at one point? So I read it a little differently. I think the way it described it was that at first she was reticent to say that she was doing it anywhere nearby, but then you know she said, I'm allowed to actually do that. I think she said that right up front that she has the card and she's allowed to do that. I think later it came out that maybe she did it in the parking lot at work. So despite her attempts to explain herself, the next day on November 19th, at age 48, Bobby was terminated. And this is one of my favorite lines pulled out of this case. <laughs> for conduct unbecoming an outbacker. <laughs> I want to know how many people have been fired for that. Conduct unbecoming an outbacker. If anybody from Outback is listening to this, let us know. Is that like a common thing that you fire people for? I don't know. Anyway. Is that a thing? And then I want to know, like, do Subaru people get the same thing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do people in Australia feel about this? Yes. A note dated the following day from one of the managers indicates that despite her quote unquote legal provision of weed, because uh, whether it's legal or not is a side question we're not going to get into today. Despite the legal provision of weed to Devante, they believed the others who said, A, it wasn't just Devante, and B, it wasn't just weed. So she <laughs> files a lawsuit alleging age discrimination. And so based on the factual record, the court's now deciding Outback's motion for summary judgment. So based on all of the information, what Outback is saying is, even if you accept everything that Bobby says as true, there's not enough facts here to make that we can decide this on legal grounds, that we don't need to put this to a jury. And so I want to get into what we think about this. So my first question is, can we start using bloom and onion as a euphemism for pot? <laughs> yes, it is a variety. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. So for real, she actually brings two claims, one's for age discrimination, one's for defamation. We're not going to get into defamation today, but let's talk about the age discrimination claims. So Kate, what would be I guess there's two different ways, two different types of evidence you can have to try to prove a claim of discrimination like this. So direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. And yeah. Bobby tries to argue both. So let's start with direct. Direct is far less common. And when there is direct, it makes the decision making much easier from a legal perspective. So do you see significant evidence based on that facts that I've given you that there's direct evidence of discrimination here? No, direct evidence usually is something like I'm firing you because you're old or you old lady, you're fired. Whereas close to the actual decision and it involves the decision, you hear that derogatory language. 
in it. So no direct evidence here. Right. And that's exactly what the court says. Is, as she tries to say that there's these comments and there's these other things that are going on, but none of them are specific to her termination. And they're all pretty remote in time. And there's not enough direct information there to lead that any of this had anything to do with her age. Right. And age. the comments are bad. I mean, calling her a grandma, um, calling yeah. other people old timer, they're bad comments. I mean, this is stuff that employers should not tolerate in any way, shape or form. So even though this case is going to fall out a certain way, this isn't stuff that we should say, oh, well, because it wasn't tied to a termination, we're okay with allowing that to happen. It seems like those comments plus like the shift changing, and maybe that was her asking for day shift or something. But to me, I'm not an attorney, but it, those things would kind of pair together. And I would be like, hmm, maybe there's some age discrimination going. Well, that's where we get into the next question, I think, which is what about evidence of indirect or circumstantial evidence of age discrimination. What do we think about that? And as doing that, this is where we're going to get all super wonky lawyery on you for a couple of minutes. <laughs> Please do, yeah. <laughs> the courts, generally all federal courts, and this is a federal court case, and most state courts follow a, what is it, 1970s era, I think, Supreme Court case, McDonnell-Douglas, which establishes the McDonnell-Douglas burden-shifting analysis which I know gets me and Kate super riled up and excited. And the rest of you are like, nerds. <laughs> yeah, nerds. nerds. Okay. It's actually 1973. Yeah. I was close. All right. So we now get to engage in this McDonnell Douglas burden shifting analysis, which is a super fancy way of saying there's basically four elements of a claim at summary judgment that we need to look at and see if it's there. And if all four of them are there, then the employer has some stuff that they have to show. And if the employer can do that, then the employee has the burden of proof to show that those reasons were pretext. So Kate, off the top of your head, I'm being a little mean to you here. Can you remember the four prongs that have to be established as an initial inquiry on circumstantial evidence? No, because I always look it up because it's always different. Yeah. They've used different, different language in every, yeah, it's different in every case. So I always have to look so, it up right. for the jurisdiction. The first thing we have to ask is, Related to the claim that's being brought, is the person who brought the claim in a protected class? Okay, and so here Bobby definitely is. She's over right 40. because she's over forty, and federal laws, you know, says if you're over forty, you're protected from age discrimination. Okay, was she qualified for her position? Yes, she had been doing it yeah. for a long period of time. This is one that's almost never litigated because if the person was in the position, they're presumably theoretically qualified for the position. Yeah, then the hiring manager being competent, right? It? Yeah. When we see this one being challenged, it's more when it's a reduction in force or we've reorganized things or the position itself has changed. When those kinds of right, situations more happen. Or less qualified for a position. Yeah. All right. Was there an adverse action? Yes, she lost her job. Absolutely, right? And the last one's where usually the analysis gets to because if you don't have those first three, they're probably, you know, not bringing the claim because they have a decent enough lawyer to have said don't bother. Okay. Were similarly situated younger employees treated differently? Hmm. Seems like <laughs> it. Now, I would say, just in the spirit of keeping this not from going on all day, because we could talk about it all day, I would say there's a real problem with that prong because there were four other people who were actually caught doing the drugs exchanges on the property and didn't all lose their jobs. were younger and they all lost their jobs. Oh, they all lost their jobs. Okay. Yes. They all lost their jobs. So, she is trying to say here that she was somehow treated differently. But what's interesting in the case is that neither of the parties dispute that prompt. So they just let it go. 
because they're going to have the same conversation when they get to the next prongs. All right. So, so once those first four prongs are established, it's then the duty of the burden shifts. This is the burden shifting. The burden then shifts to the employer to give a legitimate, non-discriminatory reason for taking the action. Well, right. they only that. have to give it. They don't have right. to prove it. They don't have to so prove they it. can be wrong, but they only have to give the reason. Super easy burden to meet in almost every case. And so what is Outback's legitimate, non-discriminatory reason here? Because they believed all the other people who said that Bobby was selling weed or doing dope or that kind of stuff on premise. Isn't that legal? Well, they can still say we don't want it on our premises. And they didn't necessarily know that she was only doing weed. Right. There was allegations that mm. she was selling dope. Doing other stuff, yeah. Regardless, they gave their reason. And it's a good enough reason. So then the burden shifts back. And now the plaintiff, Bobby in this case, has to prove that the reason that Outback gave was a pretext for illegal discrimination. Okay, so what facts do you think that Bobby can put forth to say that this was pretextual? She gives all of those comments of the right. grandma, all that kind of stuff is like, look at, she already has this animus towards me. So of course right, it have must have been but for, yeah. And because this is age discrimination, it has to be but for, it can't be just a motivating factor. She has to prove that it's actual age. Right. That drove that decision. So in the end, and again, I'm trying to keep an eye and be mindful of the time here, right? And this is a quote that actually comes out of federal case law. As long as an employer has an honest belief in its proffered non-discriminatory reason for discharging an employee, the employee cannot establish the reason was pretextual simply because it was ultimately shown to be incorrect. Now, in this case, I'm not sure it was incorrect anyway, but she's trying to say, well, it was wrong because I was allowed to do that. And I wasn't doing these other things. But if Outback believed honestly that those were things that she was doing, they are well within their rights to terminate her employment. So mm. in the end, the court here says summary judgment granted in favor of Outback. Bobby, your claim is dismissed. That's what I would have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. And is that where Judge Kate would come out on this? I think so. I don't think I would have spent as much time in this particular case going through the comments into the detail that it did. I think the court went a little further into analysis than it necessarily needed to and perhaps might have created some law that defendants are going to be able to look at and say, look at all these bad grandma comments and that wasn't good enough. And so I think this case doesn't necessarily help employees by any stretch of the imagination because oh, I think in some circumstances that when you have grandma and old timer and stuff, that is pretty good evidence of bias. But the court could have said, look, <laughs> you admit in your deposition that you sold marijuana on company premises. That is a pretty dang good reason for terminating you. And so, you know, I don't think that was, they honestly yeah. believed it was true. Right. So guys, Mark, Okay, what's the lesson for employers and HR people out of this case in particular, and really all the cases you guys talk about? Like, what are the lessons to be learned from something like this? Because I think we can all get something from it about what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think there's tons here. And again, I won't keep you here all day, but I think one of the things that we already touched on is really important here. So Outback ultimately wins the case, but in a sense, they're losers because they already had to litigate a case this far. I mean, by the time the case got this far, they probably spent multiple six figures on it. So there's probably lots of things they could have done internally to have tried to manage this a little bit better, have better communication with their employees. I also would have done a much, much better job of documenting the investigation around it because then... That was clear to me too, as a non-attorney. Right. Much clearer ability 
to actually put facts in front of Bobby's lawyer, for example, and say, you don't want to bring this case. They get their demand letter. They probably also had lots of opportunity to resolve this case earlier. Now, who knows how much money Bobby was asking for? But you know, as somebody who has managed significant litigation portfolios, this is a case I'm trying to settle, right, for peanuts early on. And I don't know. Nobody wins in this case because Outback probably the PR hit hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, Bobby loses money to attorneys like the attorneys win. Yeah, attorneys win in a lot of these cases all the time. Yeah. Part of the reason why I don't litigate anymore. I love you guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if there's any other lessons you would draw out of that, Kate. In the end, if litigation is expensive, try not to let yourself get here. Document, communicate better, you know. There's a lot of things Outback did right here, but there's a lot of things they did wrong also. Right. They had a good set of investigative notes they could have produced to Bobby's lawyer saying, look at this is what everybody told us. There would have been this would have shortcutted a lot sooner. It may have gone to mediation or a settlement conference, stuff like that. And they would never have had to brief this because the briefing itself is 25 grand easy. So this should have resolved much sooner, but it makes for a great case. Yeah. These are the kind of cases you guys discuss on your podcast. So, you know, listeners definitely go check out the podcast, Hostile Work Environment. Kate and Mark are constantly talking about interesting cases like this, and they'll tell you what you should and should not do at the end of each case. Guys, thanks for coming on. Where could people learn more about what you're up to? And, you know, the podcast is an obvious one, but you guys are each up to your own things. You have your own practices. So Mark, maybe you mentioned it first and Kate, go next. Yeah. So on a personal level, I'm just getting started launching my own firm. We talked about my layoff earlier. I'm about to do exactly what Kate's doing. So Alifan's Law is about to get launched. By the time this airs, I'm hoping maybe there will be something at alifanslaw.com. And for the podcast, a couple of requests. We're hoping to have maybe a website that I think would be hwepodcast.com. I'm hoping that will be live by the time this airs. We also have a part of the podcast where we ask listeners to submit their crazy stories. And it's always like pulling teeth to get people to do that because a lot of people are a little shy about sharing their own workplace stories. So we promise anonymity, feel free to change names and some facts to make it sound less identifiable. But you can send us an email at hwepodcast at gmail.com and give us your stories or questions or comments that you want to employment attorneys to try to answer. And we're always looking for listener interaction. And if you have great stories, send them to us to hwepodcast at gmail. So Kate, how can the people reach you and find you? So I practice on my own. My law firm is Thrive Law Consulting, Thrive Law and Consulting, but my website is thrivelawconsulting, all one word, dot com. And I'm on the Twitters and LinkedIn, so you can find me there. And I'm super excited that you all will be listening to our podcast or watching our YouTube channel. So you can actually see my face when Mark reads these facts. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but know that when we are recording them, I have not left my house. So that all the face touching is OK. Yeah, it's Corona safe. <laughs> yeah, it's Corona safe. Mark, Kate, thank you guys for coming on. This has been a blast. I know people are going to get a lot of value from this. So you're welcome back anytime. I'd love to have <laughs> you guys you. back again. Oh, we appreciate that. All right, take care. This was fun. 